Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a podcast on money, investing, the economy, and why they matter. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 13. It's titled, Are You Saving Enough to Retire Early? The idea for this podcast came from Adam, who is a listener, and he sent me an email this past week, and he wanted to know, how can we predict our future nest egg amount in retirement based on what we are currently contributing? He was particularly interested in knowing the impact of inflation and being able to see all right, if I, if I have a million dollars, that might seem like a lot of money, but that's a million dollars today. If we look out 25 years from now, how much is that million dollars really worth in terms of its ability to purchase and fund a retirement? So that's a great way to look at your retirement savings because inflation really can eat into the purchasing power of money over time. Just to refresh what is inflation and I talked about inflation in episode two inflation is a measure of how prices increase over time and the way that the statistical agencies measure inflation is they they formulate a basket of goods that a consumer would purchase a typical average consumer would purchase over a a year over a quarter to a year and within this basket would be food would be Gasoline would be clothes, housing, education, health care, all the expenses that the typical consumer has. And then they measure that basket, they kind of the overall price compared to the previous period. And then they're able to see has have prices gone up. Prices in, in most modern economies or inflation goes up two to three percent a year. It's it's baked into how the economy works. Why do we have inflation? Well, inflation is a result of the supply of money flowing through the economy increasing at a faster rate than the goods and services that are available for sale. And so if the money supply went up 5%, but the volume of goods and services only went up 3% after adjusting for population changes, then there, there will be inflation. Why does the money supply go up? Well, we talked about in earlier episodes that money increases, flows into the economy when the federal governments run a budget deficit, when they spend more than they take into in taxes, then that additional excess, that deficit, that money flows into the economy. The other way, and really the primary way that money supply increases is when banks lend. Whenever banks lend money, they are actually creating money, new money that goes through the economy. And I also talked about that in episode two, what causes inflation and deflation. So, but it's amazing the impact. We don't realize, you know, one of the aspects of behavioral finance, 
which I've not talked about a lot about in the podcast before, but one element of behavioral finance is very common is people just underestimate the impact of inflation. And just to illustrate that, let's say a 3% inflation rate. That, that seems benign, not, not a big deal. But at an annual inflation rate of 3%, $100 a day would only be worth $75 in 10 years in terms of its purchasing power. So you think about that. Well, what could I buy today for $100? And you can line up your goods that you bought for $100. And then 10 years from now, you would only be able to purchase $75 worth of goods. And so what could you buy today for $75? That's what you'd be able to buy with that $100. Now that's in 10 years at a 3% inflation rate. In 25 years at that 3% inflation rate, that $100 would only be worth $47 in terms of its purchasing power. And, and so that's how inflation can eat up over time. And I'll give some, some more examples in a little bit. But I thought, well, how, you know, given Adam's question, how can I convey this most simply in a podcast? And because what he's asking is very, very much customized to the individual. It depends on, well, how much have they saved currently? And in terms of the total nest egg, what is that worth? Be it $50,000 right now or $100,000? It very much depends on their age and, and when they believe they're going to retire be it 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or more. It depends on how much they're saving each and every year. How much are they contributing to their retirement nest egg, including company matches, each year. And it depends on how much that, in the, that savings amount that's added each year is increasing. As, as individuals get raises, they should be contributing more to the retirement and as they, as they make more money, they perhaps need less for living expenses, so that should factor in. A couple other assumptions that would go into to figuring out when you can retire and how much you'll have is that rate of inflation. How is that impacting it? Is it going to be 2%, 3%, 4 or more? And finally, what will that retiree be spending in the retirement? It, and, and typically how this is done is there's a certain percent that's spent in the first year, and then that dollar amount is adjusted for inflation. So for generally, advisors recommend 3% to 4% of the total nest egg amount to be spent in the first year of retirement, and then adjust that going forward for inflation. So you have all these assumptions, and I th- I, the best way that I know to, to show you the impact of this assumption is I put together a spreadsheet, a free spreadsheet that you can download for yourself. It's available at moneyfortherestofus.net backslash save.html. So that's moneyfortherestofus.net backslash save.html. Or you could just go to moneyfortherestofus.net and in the menu, there's a menu item called saving enough? Question mark. There you can download the Excel spreadsheet. If you don't have Excel, you can still download it and import it into a Google spreadsheet. And there you can play around. And the most important thing is you can, you can adjust the assumptions. And, and I won't explain how the spreadsheet works in this podcast because I recorded a screencast that, that walks you through the spreadsheet. 
all the assumptions, how you can change them, how you can customize the, the spreadsheet for your particular situation. But the most important aspect of that, of that spreadsheet is to say, all right, yeah, here's how much I'm going to have in my retirement nest egg 20 years from now, if that's when I choose to retire. But here's what that amount is worth today. And here's how much I could spend if I spent 4%, let's say. Here's how much I could spend in the, in, let's say it's, if I had a million dollars. Let me, let me just walk you through a quick example. Let's say you had $50,000 in savings and you were s- s- contributing an additional $10,000 a year to your retirement nest egg. That would include company matches. And you're increasing that savings rate at 3% a year. So every year, you're, you're increasing that $10,000 by 3%. If you earn 6% on your investments, at the end of 25 years, you'd have a million dollars. You'd be a millionaire. And if you spent 4% of that amount in retirement, you could spend $40,000. Here's the challenge, though. Yes, you have a million dollars, but in today's dollars, once you adjust for inflation of 3%, the, that amount would actually only be worth $473,000 in today's dollars. And, and so when you think, oh, well, what's 4% if that's your spend rate of $473,000? That's only $19,000. And, and so you, you would say, could I live on $19,000 when I retire? And, and that's where it's important to take the future and bring it into the present and say, all right, what is this actual dollar amount? What's this million dollars it have worth in today's dollars? If it's only worth 473000 which means I could only be spending $19,000 in retirement, that means... I probably can't retire. Now, I've not included Social Security or other pension plans, so that will certainly impact that. And at some point, I'll do a podcast episode on Social Security and and the equivalent for other countries because there's this fear that Social Security won't be there when you retire. And, And I believe that's absolutely false. And I, I won't go into it here, but there, there's a reason why Social Security will not go bankrupt. But let's get back to the, the spreadsheet. So that's, that's how the spreadsheet works. So go ahead and download it. What's fascinating about it is you can adjust the assumptions. You can look. But it is very, very sobering when you look at the result to say, well, in today's dollars, it's not worth very, very much. So what do you do about that? If, if we realize that in order to retire in 20 years, at the minimum, you're going to need a million dollars. In fact, you're going to need more because of the impact of how inflation eats into that purchasing power each and every year. What do you do, with, what do, you do about that? Well, one thing you can do is certainly save more. So increase the percent that you're saving. So, for example, the earlier example I gave, if you, let's say, again, $50,000 in savings, $10,000 a year, if you actually, instead of increasing that 
savings rate by 3% a year, you increased the amount you saved each year by 5%, at the end of 25 years, you'd have $1.2 million, and which would, means you could spend $47,000 a year instead of $40,000. And on an inflation-adjusted basis, or in today's dollars, that would be 22400 A little bit of an increase just by saving a, a, a higher percent. Now, I set up the spreadsheet so you can actually, if you decide, like, decide five years from now, there's going to be a big jump up in how much you're saving. Perhaps you have some debts you're going to pay off. You can actually hard code that, that new dollar amount in, and then it'll adjust it for inflation. I also put a, a column that you could put a one-time windfall or perhaps several years of windfalls. Let's say you win the lottery, and you're going to base your retirement on winning the lottery. So in that 15th year, you're going to win a million dollars. You can show the impact of that. So all types of scenarios. I prefer spreadsheets over retirement calculators because retirement calculators can kind of be like a black box. You put in the assumptions. It, maybe it spits out a number. It spits out a smiley face because everything's fine or a sad face. I want to see the impact uh, each and every year. The spreadsheet is simple enough that anyone can understand it. You can play around for the numbers. It helps you to see the benefit of compounding returns. It helps you to see the benefit of saving early in the impact that can have and, and also the impact of, of inflation. And so that's, that's the spreadsheet. So those are some of the things you can do. But the reality is the numbers are sobering. The numbers are sobering for me. I mean, I'm retired. I already have my nest egg. And so to put that in there, and, and I'm, so I'm not adding anything each year. So all I have is a rate of return, and in my investments, I, I target 5 to 6% return, and which is on the low side. But the reason why is, if I'm not contributing to my nest egg anymore, I can't afford to lose money. I cannot afford a 15% loss in my portfolio. That, that absolutely can devastate a retirement portfolio. In fact, after 2008, I did an analysis. I wrote a retirement income white paper, and I, and I showed that if you go to a typical financial planner, they'll do an analysis, and they'll do this Monte Carlo simulation, which is just a simulation to show, okay, what's the probability of your money lasting throughout your retirement? And somebody that, that retires today is 65, a couple, they have, there's a, a 25% probability that one of them will live to be, in fact, no, I think it's a 50% probability that one of them will live to be 90 or more. And, and age longevity is increasing. And so you, when you retire, you have to factor in a 30 to 40 year retirement. And so after 2008, you know, before that, if you went to a financial planner, they might say you have a 15% chance of running out of money. Which, in my mind, if I'm entering retirement, there's an 85% chance that I'll make it, but 15% chance that I'm going to run out of money and have to go to my kids. That's not good enough. But after these retirees lost 20% of their portfolio, that 15% suddenly jumps up to 30% or 35%. And so retirees cannot afford to, at least in my case, because I'm, I'm in my 40s, so I'm going to be retired for 40 years or more. And so I can't afford to lose 15 to 20%. And so I'm targeting 
5 to 6% return. But then when I look at the impact of inflation on, on my nest egg and how my money, if I didn't earn anything, would be worth only half what it is now in 25 years at a 3% inflation rate, that's pretty sobering. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. So what am I doing and how do I address it? One, one way to sort of look at it is I used to manage money for university and college endowments and other not-for-profits. And they... An endowment is a pool of money that whose objective is to last forever into perpetuity. And that's how they, they set it up. And the way that they do that is they have a spending rate. Typically, it's 45 to 5%. Then they factor in an inflation assumption, let's say 3%. And that's their target rate of return. So let me step back and think about that for a moment. So if you're spending 5% a year, and if you're in endowment, and you assume inflation is 3%, and then 5% plus 3% would be an 8% total return. If an endowment could earn 8% 
total return over the lifetime, they would never they would they would never eat into the principle of of that amount, and it would always grow at a pay after inflation rate after spending, it would grow as fast as inflation. And what that means is, its purchasing power would always be there. Thirty years from now, they would be able to have the same philanthropic impact as they do today. And and the term for that is intergenerational equity. In other words, an endowment, a not-for-profit can do so much good today with their pool of assets. If they can continue to grow that at the pace of inflation and meet their spending so that 25 years from now, they're able to have the same impact because the dollar is adjusted, then they're not going to run out of money and they're going to achieve intergenerational equity. In our own retirement savings, we have to do the same thing. Uh, but it, it's, it's equity with your future self. So you have a certain amount that you're spending today and a certain amount that you're saving. If you look at that spreadsheet, let's, so let's say you're, you're living on $40,000 a year today. So after, after you save your money and your, your living expenses are about $40,000. If you go through this spreadsheet calculation and you find that given your current savings amount in your nest egg, given how much you're saving and some other assumptions, if you find that 20 years from now when you want to retire that you can only live on $30,000 or there's only $30,000 to live on in today's dollars, then you're not being fair to your future self. You have to get it to where your amount in the future that you're going to live on is a realistic amount. And the only way to get that is to make sure that you're saving enough today. Now that that can we require some some sacrifice, but it it has to be a a fair sacrifice. I I talked about for endowments this intergenerational equity. For an individual, we'll, I'll make up a term. We'll call it intrapersonal equity. In other words, what you're living on today after you save needs to be equivalent to what you're going to be living on when you're retirement. Now, after just, if you have kids now, obviously you'll be living on less in retirement. But the idea is to be fair with yourself today and fair with your future self, to make sure that you're not oversaving today and sacrificing too much, or conversely, you're not overspending today and not saving enough to where your future self is going to have to live on a lot less money than you do today. You, you need to keep that, call it interpersonal equity. One way to do that is to really focus on what you're spending today and, and not cut just for, for cutting expenses, but to, to be mindful of exactly what you're spending it on and, and not being, being wasteful. In other words, have a good life. And in one way to do that, let me, let me read, share you a quote from one of my favorite books, economic books. It was written in 1973 by E.F. Schumacher. And it's called Small is Beautiful. And he's very much in line with some of the quotes I've shared in an earlier podcast with, from Henry David Thoreau. He's focused on freedom, the importance of freedom. And, and here's a quote. While the materialist is mainly interested in goods, 
The Buddhist is mainly interested in liberation. It is not wealth that stands in the way of liberation, but the attachment to wealth. Not the enjoyment of pleasurable things, but the craving of them. The keynote of Buddhist economics, therefore, is simplicity and nonviolence. Buddhist economists consider consumptions a means to human well-being. The aim should be to obtain the maximum of well-being with the minimum of consumption. In other words, we want to live a life today, even though we're saving for retirement. We want to not just... Effectively, we want to make sure that we have well-being today and we're achieving that well-being by consuming as little as possible. Not to be impoverished, not to be just miserly about it, but to have a good life. In other words, live like you're retired now. And, and not to be so focused on, got to save all this money and live miserably. We want this intrapersonal equity so that we have a good life now. We're living as simple as possible now. We're not living in too big a house. That saves a bunch of money. That we're not spending too much in a car, but we're being fair to ourselves today and fair to our future self. And one way to do that is try to expend as little as possible, but st still have a very good quality life. He gives an example of clothing. And I've talked about clothing in earlier podcast episodes. Here's his quote. Thus, if the purpose of clothing is a certain amount of temperature comfort and an attractive appearance, the task is to attain this purpose with the smallest possible effort. That is, with the smallest annual destruction of cloth and with designs that involve the smallest possible input of toil. The less toil there is, the more time left for artistic creativity. It would be the height of folly to make material that should wear out quickly and the height of barbarity to make anything ugly, shabby, or mean. We can have things and live a life high-quality things. I call them one-time decisions. Buy quality up front. It lasts longer. You'll enjoy it more in, a, in over the lifetime of that particular product or good or service. You'll enjoy it more, and it'll last, and it'll be cheaper. And so bottom line is don't be discouraged as you look at the spreadsheet. You can retire. You can retire early if you want. It will take savings, but don't oversave, and and don't stay in a dead end job just so you can retire in your fifties or sixties. Make sure that the work you're doing, you're enjoying it, and and so because that's another way to be fair to your present self, not living miserable lives for this future retirement. Live like you're retired now, and and live a good life. That is episode 13. Are you saving enough to retire early? Please go and download that spreadsheet. It's at moneyfortherestofus.net backslash save.html. You can also sign up for the Insider's Guide where I'll send you a weekly email discussing what the podcast is going to be about. Occasionally I'll include special offers or something outside of the podcast you might be interested in, maybe perhaps an article I've written. But it's sort of the insiders to find out what's going on with Money for the Rest of Us. I appreciate the reviews that have been left on iTunes. Please continue to do that. Rank the podcast. It helps more people discover the podcast. 
I'll share a review that, that occurred this week. It's from Kozar, K-O-S-A-R-Z. He says, what keeps me coming back to David's podcast is his uncomplicated layman's approach to investing. I don't feel overburdened with financial lingo and jargon that you can typically get from other resources. This podcast niche is reaching out to the new investor or one with a small foundational knowledge on the subject. As a young investor, I particularly like how David talks about how money is simply a tool to use in pursuing the path to our own true happiness, and he challenges you to define what that is. Is it really about having a huge house and the best luxury cars? That may be what society needs you to believe, but it is really what you want. David asks the questions and more as he leads us to understand investing, the economy, and how they relate to that. I appreciate that. If you have any questions or, or suggestions for future podcasts, you can email me at jd at jdavidstein.com. If you just have a question about the spreadsheet, go ahead and email that to me. If you find a mistake in the spreadsheet, let me know, and, and I'll fix it and upload a new version. And that's our podcast today. Thanks. Thanks.